for the Pacifica Radio Network and from the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon. This is Progressive Spirit. ProgressiveSpirit.net. I'm John Schatz. So another 30, 40, 50 years down the line, if we are not able to go back with a settlement uh, that is mutually beneficial for the Chinese and the Tibetans, then you might find Tibet towns in Tibet, just like you find Chinese towns in Chinatowns in your country. Penta Sering is the new representative of His Holiness the Dalai Lama at the Office of Tibet, based in Washington, D.C. He was elected to this post in May. Previously, he was a member of the Tibetan parliament in exile where he served as speaker since 2011. In this exclusive interview, we discuss Tibet's history, geography, and spirituality. What does it mean to be a country in exile? How does a people who value spirituality above all else express their need to an atheistic, materialistic colonial power? We discuss China's demographic aggression, its exploitation of Tibet's natural resources and environmental abuses of Tibet's land and rivers, and the urgency before the United States to pressure China to solve peacefully the Tibet crisis. We also discuss how 13 centuries of Buddhism has shaped the people of Tibet and maybe the spiritual resource that can be a beacon in a dark time of destruction for our shared Earth home. Penpa Sering was in Portland during his second week of December. Welcome, Pepa Sering, to Progressive Spirit. And uh, tell us, what is your role as the representative of the Dalai Lama? His Holiness always says that being one human being out of the 7.4 billion human beings on this world, he is just an ordinary human being and a Buddhist monk. So he promotes uh, moral values. Uh, that is one, uh, the most important uh, vision of His Holiness. And the second is... As a Buddhist monk, he's a religious person, so he uh, promotes interreligious harmony. Uh, the very reason why religion is in this world is to promote more peace and compassion and love uh, amongst uh, people, amongst different uh, living beings and uh, in harmony with nature. But uh, on the other hand, these days, religion is also becoming a tool for violence, People are still killing in the name of religion. So His Holiness meets with leaders from different uh, religious faiths and organizes those kind of conferences and, you know, be an example to the people for interreligious harmony. And third, uh, since he's a Tibetan, then he has the responsibility for the Tibetan people, for the Tibetan issue to be resolved. But my role is also that of the representative of Central Tibetan Administration, which is the administration of Tibetans in exile, so we have to represent the, represent the Tibetans in Tibet as to what is happening inside Tibet and uh, make these things known to the outside world and also uh, work for the uh, welfare of the Tibetans in exile. The total number of Tibetans in exile is about 150,000. And out of that, about estimatedly about 25,000 Tibetans are in North America, both U.S. and Canada included. Uh, tell us a little bit about the geography and the people of Tibet. Some people believe that Tibet is a very small country, uh, like Bhutan or something. But uh, it's a huge country. Uh, nestled in the north of uh, Himalayas, that is north of India. Uh, it has about 2.13 million square kilometers, uh, which is roughly 30, size, 30 times the size of Austria. And uh, 
But we are sparsely populated. Uh, we used to call ourselves our land the land of cool clime, and uh, Asians call Tibet as the water tower of Asia or the source of Asian rivers. And now these days, the Chinese environmental scientists call Tibet as the third pole. Uh, the third pole, North okay. Pole and South Pole. Tibet has the largest amount of glaciers and permafrost that feeds all these major rivers that goes into Pakistan, India, Nepal, into Bangladesh, Burma, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, and into China. The two big rivers that go into China, the Yangtze and the Yellow, also originate from Tibet. So some estimate that some 30% of the world population, you know, the, the areas where Tibetan rivers flow are most densely populated uh, areas in the world. So some people estimate that 30% of the world population has something or other to do with rivers that originate from Tibet. So environmentally, uh, not just the political issue of Tibet, for only for the Tibetans, but environmentally, it is vitally important for the whole region. In a sense, uh, the Tibetan people are uh, protectors in many respects. And so there's a, a risk uh, without stability there of the protection of the environment itself. We have been living on that land for centuries, you know, mm -hmm. since time immemorial, and we have learned to live with nature uh, harmoniously. Now, uh, with the occupation of Tibet uh, by the Communist uh, Party of China, uh, you call China today as the factory of the world, and when they, when they can go as far as Africa and Latin America for natural resources to feed all these factories, why not Tibet? But uh, till 2007, when they built a railway across the Tibetan plateau from Qinghai uh, you know, to Lhasa, the capital of Tibet, linking to the mainland China, uh, which at one time people thought it's uh, technologically not possible to do that, but China built that over permafrost and you know all that. They can bring in more Chinese into Tibet, which is uh, demographic aggression and take out Tibet's uh, natural resources. So this, uh, and that too, the, all this uh, exploitation of Tibet's natural resources, they don't do a feasibility study or environmental impact study as to you know, what could be the adverse consequences on Tibetan plateau uh, uh, of the human activities that the Communist Party of China is undertaking inside Tibet. Well, what are some of the specific things that uh, China is doing? Are they mining? Yeah, north of uh, Tibet, um, in 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 my father's region called Amdo, they, they have uh, uranium and uh, mercury and uh, copper and a lot of other, and some parts of central Tibet are also known for gold and things like that. So, you know, the residues of mercury's mm -hmm. uh, rest on the river bed uh, that affects the health of. Uh, uh, people in downstream countries, and China is also building a lot of dams on the uh, Mekong River that originates from Tibet. Till it reaches the boundary of Burma, they have built or uh, some 32 dams are on that river alone. At this place called the Great Bend, where the Burma Putra flows east and then suddenly takes a U-turn and comes south into India and Bangladesh, China is planning to build a dam that is bigger than the Three Gorges Dam, which is the biggest in the mm. world. And all these places are seismic zone. 
you, you have witnessed, uh, you know, uh, earthquake in Afghanistan. That's the beginning of the Himalayas in that region to Nepal and, you know, in parts of Tibet. So if something happens to that size of a dam, you know, what could be the consequences for the people living downstream is unimaginable. Today we are political refugees, but another 30, 40, 50 years down the line, there might be so many environmental refugees. That's a real danger. I'm speaking with uh, Pempa Tsering. He is the uh, new representative of His Holiness the Dalai Lama at the Office of Tibet uh, based in Washington, D.C. Can you give us a history of, of Tibet, uh, especially <clears throat> since uh, 1949? Yeah, Tibet has a recorded history of more than 2,200 years. There was a time in uh, between 8th to 10th century when Tibet was a big empire, along with Mongol and Chinese empire. Uh, but then Tibet disintegrated after 10th century for two, three centuries. And then the Mongol influence came in Asia when Mongolia was uh, becoming a big empire. Tibet came under its influence, but there was never ever uh, direct interference by the Mongols in running Tibet. Um, and we developed a very uh, unique relationship with the, with the Mongols who started turning Buddhist. So we became the teachers of Buddhism to the Mongols. This uh, historical link made us the spiritual leader of the Mongols, and the Mongols became our protectors. This relationship eventually also transferred on Chinese Buddhist emperors, the, the uh, uh, Manchus who ruled China for several centuries, and then the Chinese emperors. So this relationship continued uh, as priest and patron relationship between the Tibetans, Mongols, Tibetans, Manchus, and Tibetans, Chinese, who ruled China. But Tibet was never, ever directly administered by any country directly. Uh, when communism was taking over the whole of the world, starting from Europe to you know Soviet Union, Tibet became a victim of Communist Party of China. And then Communist Party started invading Tibet in 1948-49, and then we were forced to sign a 17-point agreement in 1951. Uh, if not, the, we were threatened to be invaded by force. And we signed that, and we tried to live under that agreement for eight years, uh, from 1951 to 58. but then Chinese... Uh, renegated on all the provisions of those, uh, uh, you know, articles, the 17-point articles, and then His Holiness was forced to flee to India as a refugee in 1959. Some 80, 85,000 Tibetans followed him or preceded him, and we were slowly put up in the foothills of Himalayas because the only thing we knew was hard labor. And uh, our people, my parents and some people's grandparents worked on the road construction in those areas in the foothills because climatic conditions were a little more suitable. Today, we are put up in 10 different Indian states. So out of the 150,000 Tibetans in exile, about 90,000 are in India, a little more than 20,000 in Nepal, a few hundreds in uh, Bhutan, between 13 to 15,000 in uh, whole of Europe. Uh, Estimated there about 25,000 in whole of North America. We still have an ongoing uh, immigration program in Canada. Um, 
And we also have uh, ongoing immigration program with Australia. So you find a little more than 3,000 Tibetans in Australia. But the rest of the Tibetans, 150, 30, you find them in some 37 different countries. And still about uh, 6 million are in Tibet itself. That's right. So, yeah, before 2008, we used to receive anything between 3,000 to 3,500 Tibetans uh, from Tibet. Then there was widespread peaceful demonstration in the whole of Tibet in 2008. So this uh, led to a lot more restriction from the Chinese side. And these days we receive between 500 to 600 Tibetans every year. Now this year, the coming in January 2017, we have this uh, religious teaching by His Holiness called the Kala Chakra teaching, the Wheel of Time teaching. And this is considered very sacred. So a lot of Tibetans come. You know, in 2006, some 10,000 Tibetans came from inside Tibet. And the idea, the the reason why Chinese allowed so many Tibetans to go at that time was that they thought that maybe His Holiness will say, tell the Tibetans. Of course, His Holiness keeps saying that. So he would he would tell the Tibetans that we are not fighting for independence, and you know, and that might. Uh, reduce the uh, Tibetans' ability to fight for independence. But mm. on the other hand, of course, apart from this message, uh, there was also a lot of environmental awareness uh, being created by His Holiness, particularly uh, Tibetans used to l- use a lot of animal skins in their dresses as decorations, you know, as piece of ornaments and things like that. And His Holiness asked the Tibetans not to use animal skins like seal skin mm-hmm. or tiger skin. And all that. So all Tibetans inside Tibet started burning all these valuable clothings that they have cultivated over years. And this became a huge disappointment for Chinese government, what they thought and what turned out was totally different, you know. And then, and, and then the later uh, color chakras, they, they have been restricting the Tibetans. Like this color chakra, Many Tibetans who have passport, passports were taken back by the Chinese authorities. And uh, some of them who managed to travel up to Nepal or to India, now they are being asked to come back before December end, which means they cannot attend the Kala Chakra teachings. If they don't come back on time, they will suffer, their families will suffer. And When you say suffer, what do you mean? Or they go through now a lot of punishment, just... On the 8th, another Tibetan from Ngaba area, the Amdo area, which, which witnessed num- the largest number of self-immolations so far, uh, Tashi Rapten, uh, 33 years old, he self-immolated uh, on the 8th and he died the next day. Um, he's the 145th Tibetan to self-immolate without even hurting one single Chinese civilian or military, just sacrificing your own life hoping that the Chinese government will pay some attention to the plight of the Tibetans or the international community might, you know, pressurize the Chinese government to help resolve the Tibetan issue. The Freedom House uh, called the human rights situation in Tibet as the second worst situation in the world, next to Syria at that time. Tibet is like a huge prison right now. Uh, diplomats, journalists from the free world have no access to Tibet. And even if they are granted access, they are allowed to go to only a few designated areas that Chinese government want to see or either they are followed or, you know, monitored. 
So it's a very difficult situation. These testimonies were also made by the United States government, and some of the uh, leading legislatures are calling for reciprocal access to Tibet. If you allow Chinese diplomats, or if the Chinese diplomats can come to any part of the United States, then why not the United States diplomats and officials and journalists and ordinary citizens can have access to Tibet? Even for American Tibetans, it's not possible to have access to Tibet uh, easily. You mentioned His Holiness and his position towards Tibet. He doesn't want Tibet to be necessarily a separate country. Well, what are his interests, and, uh, and, and do they parallel the interests of the people of Tibet? I mean, yeah. you mentioned that uh, when mm. he said about the, the animal skins that everybody did it. So mm. people really follow the Dalai yes. Lama's uh, That is where views. the Chinese government failed to understand the Tibetans. They feel that they brought material development to Tibet. And, you know, for Chinese government to resolve any kind of conflict is development, development, development from a very materialistic point of view. They don't Mm -hmm. understand the emotional need of the Tibetans. You know, having practiced Buddhism over the last 1,300 years and believing in life after death and so many things, very different from atheist China who doesn't believe in any kind of religion. Uh, That is where they failed. If they managed to address the Tibetan need to, Tibetan people's need to, you know, go to monasteries and practice their language and religion and culture, I'm sure there would be much more peace in Tibet. China's policy towards Tibet is assimilation. They bring in more and more Chinese into Tibet. This this is the reason why we say we don't have time, because Tibet is huge land-wise, but population is very small. And Chinese population is now like, I don't know, 1.45 billion people. Mm-hmm. And uh, compared to that, we are nothing. So by if you look at the different minorities also, if you look at Manchuria, you hardly find any Manchus who speak the Manchu language. So along with their language, their culture is also gone because everything is being sinicized. In southern Mongolia, only 16% are Mongols. And the rest are all Han Chinese, the majority Han Chinese and the Turks. Now in Xinjiang, there's the Uyghur, East Turkestan area, and Tibet. Most of the cities and towns are Chinese majority, including the capital of Tibet, Lhasa. So wherever they can make money, Chinese move in. And that's how they, you know... Uh, the, the demographic aggression happens. So another 30, 40, 50 years down the line, if we are not able to go back with a settlement uh, that is mutually beneficial for the Chinese and the Tibetans, then you might find Tibet towns in Tibet, just like you find Chinese towns in Chinatowns in your country, that Tibetans become completely overwhelmed by a majority Han population. That is the reason why His Holiness, looking at the reality of situation, is not asking for independence, but autonomy uh, with uh, rights to preserve its own language, culture, you know, uh, you know, the environment, religion, and all that, uh, and leave the defense and you know foreign policy to to China. So. That's uh, what we call as the middle way approach. The time, obviously, is on China's side. Yes. They're, they're in no rush. Uh, they want to keep uh, the situation going and just slowly squeeze you out. So what leverage uh, 
do you have uh, as the people of Tibet to be able to stop this squeeze? What, what, what do you hope to get? You are uh, right in many ways, but uh, I, uh, you know, also like to positively think in other ways. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes I jokingly tell our Chinese friends, "Let us see whether the Communist Party of China can outlive the Dalai Lama." or the Dalai Lama can outlive the Chinese Communist Party. Ah. Because Chinese Communist Party, Communist Party today is one of the longest autocratic, authoritarian regime in the world. And they have also a lot of internal problems. We know for a fact that the resolution to the Tibet issue can come only from China. But the reason why we are requesting, urging the governments of the United States or Canada or Europe, anybody from the free world to support us to is to push the process faster. We hope that some common sense will come to the Chinese leadership. His Holiness the Dalai Lama is the key to resolving the Tibetan issue because he is one person who can convince the Tibetans inside Tibet that this is the best solution for China and for the Tibetan people. You know, so if China doesn't take this up, uh-huh. one can't imagine you already have 145 Tibetans who self-immolated, who burned themselves to death. And if this Dalai Lama has to die in exile, what could be the emotional reaction inside Tibet? Will that help heal the wounds between the Chinese leadership or the government and the Tibetan people? Or rather, would it make it worse? What does the Dalai Lama make of our new president-elect, Donald Trump? And and what's the situation uh, with the uh, U.S. president so far? Has it been uh, positive? Have they been dragging their feet? No, since uh, 1991, uh, since George Bush Sr., all the presidents of the uh, United States have been meeting with His Holiness. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, with uh, President George Bush Jr. and uh, President Barack Obama. They had met at least four times during their tenure as President of the United States. And uh, we have no bias, of course. We are bipartisan. When it comes to the issue of Tibet, we have support both from Republicans and Democrats, uh, from Senate to House, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's bicameral, bipartisan, and we have never taken any sides during the election. His Holiness is not uh, uh, overtly concerned about what might happen because uh, you have a very good system in place. Uh, you have a very active media, you know. You have huge public debates and, you know, public opinion, uh, people coming on streets peacefully if they, are, they have any, uh, you know, expressions to be made. So His Holiness is not overtly concerned. He, he believes that uh, uh, President-elect uh, Trump will uh, carry through his job responsibly. And uh, uh, he looks forward to meeting with the president. Is there any indication from President-elect Trump that he will meet with the Dalai Lama? Have you received any communication from him? Right now, uh, our office had no connection with the transition team so far. So what are the things that you'd like uh, the incoming administration as well as Congress uh, to do officially? The ultimate uh, uh, aim of the Tibetan, uh, of His Holiness Dalai Lama and the Tibetans in exile is to resolve the Tibet issue peacefully, non-violently. So this is what 
uh, we need uh, the U.S. government to impress upon the Chinese leadership that this is good for everybody. There should be a resumption of dialogue uh, between the representative of His Holiness Dalai Lama and the Chinese government. So this, this is the key thing. So before that happens, uh, uh, it's, it's important that we send the right signals. So President-elect Trump, once he takes over the presidency, to meet with His Holiness uh, as early as uh, an opportunity provides. This will also send a right signal that he's concerned about the Tibetan issue. And also unbiased reporting by the U.S. government as to what is going on in China, what is going on in Tibet, in Uyghur, in Inner Mongolia, in Hong Kong, on human rights, religious freedom, you know. So these are important for us, apart from we saying it, um, but the United States government doing it and saying it is a different matter. One final question. We're just about out of time. Pempa Sering uh, is speaking with me. He's the uh, representative of His Holiness the Dalai Lama at the Office of Tibet uh, based in Washington, D.C. Uh, what can U.S. citizens, so those hearing this broadcast today who are interested in, in the plight of justice and the people of Tibet, uh, what, what can you uh, say to them? What would you like? Uh, how can they help? If you love freedom, if you love democracy, if you love justice, then please help us. Uh, we we don't have all of this. You know, even though Tibet may be remote, you might find that you might feel that Tibet is far off from you and may not be connected directly. But we all must understand in this globalized world that everything is interdependent. Uh, any small event in one part of the world affects the other. The more you make an authoritarian regime stronger by kowtowing, bending to them, to their wills, to their commands, uh, then they become much more bolder. You know, so when gov- governments will do whatever they can at their level, but government will react to its people's wishes because people decide who should be in the government. So every single American counts, whether it's to do with Tibet or Uyghur or Inner Mongolia or Chinese people in China or whether it's Korean people in North Korea or whether it's people in the Middle East who are going through a lot of suffering. So anybody who is suffering and anybody who is denied or devoid of all these freedoms, please help guarantee this because every single person's voice matters. Thank you. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit. For links to podcasts and for more information about the show, go to ProgressiveSpirit.net. Progressive Spirit is available through the Pacifica Radio Network. From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, I'm John Schuck. Be well.